You're listening to Lozano Smith's podcast, where we discuss important changes in the law and legal decisions that affect public agencies. Hello and welcome. Thank you for joining us for another Lozano Smith podcast. I'm your host, Sloan Simmons, one of Lozano Smith's co-practice group leaders in litigation and a student attorney, as well as some other stuff up here out of our Sacramento office. But more importantly, I'm very lucky to be joined today by Tom Gautier, um, one of our outstanding longtime partners, a nearly 30-year practitioner, uh, an expert in all things governance, education law, labor and employment, you name it. And um, I'm here with Tom today to talk about a really timely and important topic, and it just so happens to come up on an annual basis. Tom, we're going to talk about school district annual organizational meetings. Thanks for being here. Thank you, Sloan, for having me. Good to be here. Um, I'm going to start off with just the basics of what an annual organizational meeting is. Anybody that's a school board member has been to uh, to one or more of these, um, but there's a lot of things that happen at the annual organizational meeting that are important and set the tone and set your agenda for the school year. So first thing um, that you do is it's held uh, in a 15-day window starting on the second Friday in December. That's after new newly elected board members take their seats. So there's notice provisions where um, the district notifies the county superintendent and there's some paperwork that needs to be done just to make sure it's properly noticed. But once you get jump right into it, uh, the very first thing that you see on the list is that typically you elect your board officers at the annual organizational meeting. And the education code says different things about um, what different types of school districts do as far as electing officers. You know, high school districts, it's the code says you elect a president and a clerk and other districts, it says you elect a clerk. However, I want you to look past that and look at your board bylaw 9100. If you're using the California School Boards Association um, standard templates, you have many of you have adopted board bylaw 9100. Um, um, before we get there, sure. um, for our listeners who like the nitty gritty, gritty details, um, are there education code provisions that kind of generally drive this process? Yes, there are. And there's three of them that say very specific things, two of them actually. Um, education code 35143 says that a high school district elects a president and a clerk. Okay. And then both of them. Both of them. And right. then it also, this section also says that other types of school districts elect uh, a, a clerk only. And then for mm-hmm. variation, if you go to the County Offices of Education, Education Code Section 1009 says that the board elects a president. So there's three slightly different things being said by the code. So, so I think what I'm hearing from you, though, is that the, the bylaw you, you want to talk about, 9100, that may require further and additional steps independent of what the, the code's describing. Exactly. And like many of other, your board bylaws, it fills in procedure and goes beyond what the law says. And so board bylaw 9100, which is what most of you have, uh, says that the, you're going to elect either a president and a clerk or a president and a vice president. And those are valid choices. It's just somewhat different from the education code. And as long as your bylaws are not in conflict with the education code, it's perfectly fine to do what many school districts are doing, which is to set their own procedure. And, and so you always want to look at board bylaw 9100 and see you know, what officers do we elect. And typically you see a president and a vice president or a president and a clerk. Um, one of my, I'm famous for dumb questions on these podcasts, Tom. So here's my first dumb question today. Is clerk and vice president in, interchangeable? In other words, if you if you elect a president, a vice president, does that mean you don't have a clerk? Or 
you might be electing a president, vice president, but you're still going to have a clerk of the board. Uh, not always. You will okay. you will have a um, uh, typically you see two officers, and it's just really up to what you have selected in your board bylaw. So it's usually a president and a vice president, or a president and a clerk. Okay. And typically the um, the vice president and the clerk have a very similar duties, and they do not um, have different roles assigned to them in the in the education code. You you will uh, see a lot of things that the president does, which we will get to. Um, in, a, in a moment about what the president does. Got it. So what does a typical uh, board bylaw 9100 cover? It's good, you, good that you asked that because if you just look at the law, the annual organizational meeting only requires that you elect officers. That's all that is you're required by law to do. Board bylaw 9100 typically has half a dozen things that you do at the annual organizational meeting, which are, are of course important. So number one, you elect your officers. Number two, you appoint the superintendent as secretary to the board. The superintendent is secretary to the board just by the education code, and, and superintendent is also assigned a lot of other functions that school board members will be familiar with, signing contracts, signing warrants, taking authorized actions. Um, you'll also typically approve a list of authorized signers for warrants and bank accounts so that you know that, for example, the superintendent and the CBO are the people authorized to sign checks and approve contracts. Okay. Um, Fourth, which we're going to talk about in, in more detail, is uh, you are usually required to adopt a schedule of regular meetings for the regular board meetings for the for the upcoming calendar year. Um, fifth, this is not always done, but fifth, uh, the board can designate people to serve on committees or commissions. And often that is not done in mass uh, at the annual organizational meeting. Often committee members are appointed when there's a vacancy or when there's a new committee or something like that. So this is, um, in my view, an optional thing that is often in Board Bylaw 9100. You may have some school districts that do that every year. They say, okay, in December, we are going to look at everyone on every board-appointed committee and reappoint them or appoint new members. But as I said, in my experience, often you um, have committee appointments being made throughout the year. Got it. And last but not least, uh, the sixth item on Board Bylaw 9100 is really just a, a subjective review of resources that um, – clarify the board's role and, and governance documents and things like that. And so there's nothing required in the law here other than a lot of people pause at this moment to consider, um, you know, am I happy with my board governance handbook? Do we need to look at other uh, resources or meeting protocols? So this is a time to discuss uh, any board business that, that hasn't put in a, been put in another bucket. Is there anything, uh, talk about the, the nuances of if there are or, or what the process is for the actual election and or nomination process for selecting your officers under under the board bylaw? I'm glad you used the word election or nomination process because you see it in your board bylaw and in the code. We're here to elect officers. And so sometimes people uh, think that they're departing from the usual board procedure and you're doing some other undefined special procedure. Uh, so it really is, just like any other board action, you need a majority vote of all the members of the governing board to elect your officers. And most times it's done with a motion and a second and a vote. Um, it's n you know, not a different procedure. Sometimes when people think of elections, they think of what they do at the, in the voting booth and, and you know, secret ballot and all that. And, and it's worth pausing and pointing out that the Brown Act doesn't allow secret ballots. So this is a process that takes place in open session with fully transparent votes. And so uh, the typical board bylaw 9100s will say that you elect your entire slate of officers 
each year. So you're going to ele elect, for example, your president and your vice president each year. And so it's up to the board members to say, I'd like to something like along the lines of I'd like to nominate Sloan to be president and Tom to be vice president. And then you know, make that motion and someone seconds that motion. And then, then there's a then there's a vote. And the first like any other action, the first uh, proposal to get a majority vote is the the action of the board. Tom, a um, couple of questions that may or may not be of interest to our listeners, but as we're sitting here right now, they're of interest to me. Um, can you, uh, you know, I, I feel like what you generally see with school boards is um, a, a new president most years. So my first question is, could you, and is there anything that prohibits from the same board member uh, for one or several for repeated years being elected board president or is or is there something in the code that requires a change each year no there's nothing in the code that requires change you can have officers elected year after year after year what you will see sometimes is an optional uh, provision in the board bylaw that instead of the slate of officers being elected every year they, they will have a rotating system so uh, the the least senior a board member wouldn't be president or vice president, perhaps. The, the most senior person is, is president for one year, and then that office rotates, you know, just like you might see on many um, private, you know, charitable boards. So there's almost an expectation under that model that if you're vice president or clerk, you're in the rotation to then become president the next year? Exactly. Okay. And so you see a lot of variations in the board bylaw 9100, so it's important to understand that. And I think it's also important to understand that the board has complete discretion to to change systems. All right. So let's talk about then, Tom, what are those kind of, you know, we're talking about some different nuances that can arise under the, under the board bylaw 9100 for this process. What are some of the options um, for nomination uh, if, if nomination for an office fails? Um, that's thankfully somewhat rare. Uh, there's lots of different ways the board can go. You can table the matter to another meeting. You can propose new nominations at the meeting. Um, I think a third option might be you could just take no action and have the prior officers remain in office. However, I think it's important to, to recognize that you're obligated to follow your board bylaws, and therefore you, sh you know, school boards should um, try as hard as they can and keep going until they finally arrive at a, 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 an action. And even if that action is to reelect the, the current officers over and over again, as long as you have that action and it's, and it's in the minutes, um, then you... Um, then you've, you've done your duty under your board bylaw and the code. So you're saying, all right, so we've got a board bylaw. It says on an annual basis at our annual organizational meeting, we have to elect officers. Um, slate gets put up. Slate gets voted down. Um, the idea would be you don't just throw up your hands and move ahead. Your board bylaw requires an election at that annual meeting. So one way or another, even if it ultimately is we're going we're gonna to move a move to have the same officers remain in place for the, for the coming year, that at least would be an action taken to set your, your officers. Exactly. What, what are some of the risks that might arise if you didn't, you know, dot your I's and cross your T's in that respect? It, it's good that you ask that. It, it comes up infrequently. We should all keep in mind, though, that you know, there are court cases that say boards are obligated to follow their bylaws and policies. So technically, whenever a government agency like a school board is not following a particular law or a particular policy, um, there is a risk of litigation and, and a court order requiring you to take the actions that your board policies or the law requires you to take. Um, 
diff completely different example, but I'll say, for example, if you don't hold student expulsions timely, the code requires that student expulsions be held within 30 school days of the incident, uh, with some exceptions. And if you don't do that, and if you are routinely holding your expulsions past the time frame, people can take you to court and, and, and get the court to order compliance. And so uh, these board procedures are subject to the same risk, which uh, is thank thankfully infrequent when you see that kind of litigation. I mean, I suppose taking that situation to its extreme is you're someone who's unhappy with actions taken by a board who did not comply with its steps to elect new officers. It's not out of the question that someone might even theoretically argue the non-election related actions taken by that board that wasn't properly elected at Daniel meeting is void, uh, is void. Yes, right? that's, that's correct. And that's the, then that's the risk of, uh, of litigation over failure to follow your procedures. What about, uh, so you get past your annual meeting, we hit March, turns out these folks aren't working very well together in their current offices. Um, is there flexibility to hold an officer election at a date in the year other than the annual organizational meeting? That, that's a good question, and, and I think opinions have differed on this. Uh, however, we talked earlier about you know, discretion and the education code we often refer to it as the permissive education code. There's a statute 35160 that says you can take actions that are not in conflict with law. And I think many people believe that if for some reason you do need to change officers, it comes up in a lot of different ways. Resignation, right. desire for people to change, uh, you know, because they can't fulfill the role. So I think it's, it's likely permissible that you take additional elections throughout the year. Do we ever have a scenario... Um it's not, it's not infrequent, well, I shouldn't say it's not infrequent, but it does exist when there just so happens to be conflicts on a board amongst different factions. Uh, are, are we familiar with, have we seen circumstances where those competing factions seek to, to move to have a new officer's election mid-year because of the tension and dispute between those factions? Yes, we have seen examples of that. Um, and. To, to your prior question, that it does appear permissible to have multiple elections uh, throughout the year. I think if you are in that, that situation, um, many boards would uh, consider having a, a conversation about why they're in that place and trying to resolve that conflict. Yeah. Regardless of who's president or vice president, um, if you're in that situation, it, it feels like there's some work to be done. Right, right. Uh, some workshops. It's time to schedule some, some board workshops on getting along. Exactly. Um, are there policies or codes that put more meat on the bone when it comes to these officer positions that we're electing at the annual meeting? Yes. Uh, your typical board bylaws do have pretty specific lists of duties for officers. These are not driven by the education code or other laws. They're driven by policy and, and board bylaw uh, for the most part. So I'll start with the president. Um, the president has a pretty long list of duties. It's typically in board bylaw 9121. Um, and a very important list of duties, calling meetings of the board, especially special meetings. The board president has the authority to do that. Typically, the board president and the superintendent uh, have full authority to prepare the meeting agenda and publish it and get it ready. Um, and typically, also, once you get to the board meeting, the board president is the chair and moves everyone through the agenda, announces uh, who's able to speak, announces the next action, um, and also enforces the board's uh, bylaws about procedure and conduct. Um, you recognize persons that wish to give public comment. 
and you, you facilitate the discussion and, and also you rule on issues of parliamentary procedure and, and generally keep order. So it's a very long and important um, list of, of uh, items. One of the other items I think that's important is the Brown Act requires that members of the public uh, at all meetings be able to see and hear how everyone voted. So it's, I think, important for the board president to clearly announce the results of a motion and a vote so that everyone knows what the motion was and how each uh, board member voted. I feel like I've seen some vari variations in this pilot, too, where it's within the, the board president's discretion to set the time permitted for public comment. Does that sound right? Typically, that is already assigned in the board bylaw, um, which is a very important part of your of any board meeting is how much public comment is allowed, and the Brown Act permits rules for that. What we often see is the board bylaws say two or three minutes per speaker and 20 or 30 minutes per agenda item yeah. total. But to your question, um, we often see the board president um, granting latitude to speakers that need to speak a little bit more, uh, perhaps asking permission from their colleagues to go beyond the two or three minutes per speaker or beyond the 20 or 30 minutes uh, per agenda item so that to give courtesy to people that are really interested and want to give more input. Right. In addition, what you often see sometimes is uh, if there's a large number of people that want to speak on something, the board president can ask speakers voluntarily to shorten up their time so that more people can fit in. So I've, I've seen board presidents say, uh, we have dozens of people that want to speak on this item. You can take your two minutes if you want. However, to allow the maximum number of people to be heard, consider uh, you know, the board president might say to the audience, consider uh, speaking for one minute only or saying, I agree with the previous speaker or something like that. But those are purely voluntary measures. Got it. What about the clerk? Okay. Um, the clerk, board bylaw 9123 is typically assigns the duties to a clerk. And if you have a vice president, often this board bylaw, I understand it will say these are the duties of the vice president. And um, their typical actions are to uh, serve as president when the president's absent, um, to sign minutes and sign documents and maintain records. And they're often the ones that sign official actions and resolutions and things like that of the board so that there's a, a, a record of what exactly the board action was and, and certifying that it took place. Um, and, and, and I should say, in many cases, the minutes are sufficient to show that the board took action, um, but it is helpful for many important board actions like approval of large contracts, finance transactions, resolutions. You know, it's, it's customary and a good practice to have the clerk sign off on them to, so that there's an official record to, that, it, that it's, it's a board action. Got it. So we covered president, we covered clerk and vice president. Um, are there other uh, issues that get resolved by way of these board bylaws when we're at that annual organizational meeting? Um, one of the things that we mentioned earlier in the list was um, signature authorizations. And so uh, typically board bylaw 9122 says that the superintendent serves as secretary to the board. And uh, one of the things that's done at the annual organizational meeting that we mentioned earlier was you sign, uh, excuse me, you approve the list of who are our authorized signers so that the world knows who's authorized to sign checks, warrants, contracts, things like that. Um, and I feel like also the, the calendar is a big issue, right, during those annual meetings? Yes. Um, board Bylaw 9100 says that the board is going to adopt a schedule of regular meetings under the Brown Act. And that's a very important for board business because under the, under the Brown Act, um, 
you're supposed to, number one, publish the schedule of regular meetings, and number two, there's some actions that can only be taken at a regular meeting. Uh, sometimes it is um, approval of executive contracts or some finance transactions that can only be approved at a regular meeting. And there are some other actions like the budget and LCAP that have to be done on, on 72 hours notice. So it is important to know when your regular meeting schedule is and adhere to it um, so that you know you're complying with the Brown Act when you take these, these certain actions. Is that obligation to have a schedule set uh, driven by the education code or another set of laws? It's just in the Brown Act. The Brown Act says quite briefly, uh, each governmental body shall adopt a, a schedule of its regular meetings. And that's typically when schools do it is at the annual organizational meeting. And if they do it then, do they have flexibility to change it later in the year? Or is that how it's, it's set in stone for the next coming year? Another great question, and I think um, opinions have differed on this, uh, but but with the uh, similar to the election of officers, uh, the permissive education code likely allows boards to uh, adjust its schedule of regular meetings throughout the year, and we do see it happen. Um, sometimes, if you have important business to be done, you want to add an additional regular meeting or change the time of, of a regular meeting. Um, I think it's important, though, to be clear that you're amending your board bylaw. For example, if your board bylaw states we will have regular meetings on the, the second Wednesday of each month, then it's important to have an action that amends your board bylaw temporarily or permanently so that you are your board bylaws are aligning with your change. Um, and another trick, for lack of a better word, a perfectly a lawful thing that you can do under the Brown Act is uh, you can adjourn any meeting. And so you can adjourn a regular meeting to the next day or two days or three days down the road, and then that meeting is still a regular meeting. Interesting. And so that's important. Like, for example, if you're trying to work on executive contracts and you need one or two or three additional meetings to finalize the action, you can keep adjourning a regular meeting. And as long as you keep posting your agenda on the website and in hard copy so that there's full transparency for the public, that's a perfectly lawful way to go. Perhaps too too much in the weeds, but if, I, if that if that occurs, um, do I need to adjourn to return the very next day, or can I adjourn to return at a date later than the very next day? The Brown Act doesn't say how far out one could or should or must um, adjourn a regular meeting. And so, for example, you it appears that you can adjourn a regular meeting to the very next morning or the very next, next day, which is less than 72 hours. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it could be three days or five days. I think there's just a rule of reason on both ends. If one were to adjourn a, a meeting at 11 p.m. And, and adjourn it to 7 a.m. the next day, I think that you know may cause some concern. Or if you were to adjourn a meeting for many weeks, that may, may cause some concern. Got it. Todd, this is a really good discussion. Uh, obviously, it's, it's critically important this time of the year. We're heading into um, the holiday season here in the coming weeks, Thanksgiving, and then into December, um, and in between those those two periods, um, I'm sure folks are revving up for their annual organizational meetings. So, really appreciate your expertise. As usual, it's it's obvious when we talk about these topics, and uh, and I hope it was just as enlightening for our listeners as, as it is for me. Thank you, Sloan, and happy holidays to everyone. Thank you for joining us for another one of our Lozano Smith podcast. Um, and for tuning in as you often do, perhaps now on your, your holiday break as you're driving around listening to us. If you want to, to listen to other of our podcasts, we encourage you to go to our podcast page at lazanasmith.com forward slash podcast. There you'll find additional links and details of other topics and podcasts we've covered 
and resources on point. And also make sure that you subscribe on any of the platforms that, that carry our podcast so that you don't miss an episode. Thanks all. Take care, Sloan. If you have any questions about this topic, please contact the hosts of this episode or an attorney at any of our eight offices throughout California. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. As the information contained in this podcast is necessarily general, its application to a particular set of facts and circumstances may vary. For this reason, this podcast does not constitute legal advice. We recommend that you consult with your counsel prior to acting on the information you heard. Thank you.